We've got lots to get to tonight, including discussions on all the crazy things that have been happening over the last couple of weeks, including the chemical spill in Ohio, UAPs, the latest development on those topics. And we're also going to talk about streaming options. What's available and is it too much? And if that's not enough to pique your interest, we're going to talk about the future of work, including quiet quitting and remote options along with quiet promoting. Our guest is going to show some insights on what she's been seeing locally here in Windsor-Essex as the Arms Moonlight Project starts right now. This is season three of the Arms Boom and Like Project. If you are joining us on the World Wide Web post-live show, yes, the show continues in its entirety, streaming on your favorite podcasting streaming service. Maybe you're listening to us on Spotify, wherever or whenever you get your podcast. Welcome to the program. For those of you joining the ride in person, live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, we are always happy to have you along for the show this evening. Don't forget you can comment, chime in, and join the discussion live as we do each and every, uh, not every Tuesday, but I guess every other Tuesday live here on the program. So hopefully you had a pretty good week. Uh, hard to believe that this is the last full week of the month of February. It's a weird one because uh, February, again, one of the shortest, if not the shortest month of the calendar year. And next month uh, is March, believe it or not, uh, a week to go tomorrow until we segue into the month of March. So if you are looking forward <laughs> to the season change daylight saving time is coming and then of course the season of spring as well uh, one of the funny things that we had over the course of the last couple of days i know uh, we've been talking about it on the program and we've been kind of chatting with people in the audience about this and also getting to some of your questions and comments and different things is sort of the uneasiness that's been going around in the world today and all the different things that have been happening not only high in the sky it's been a crazy couple of weeks um i think to say the least and there has been so much talk. I mean, it was a couple of weekends ago, I think, uh, people were talking about all the different objects that were in the sky over the United States and very much here in Canada. There was talk of, uh, and, and news was abuzz about the UAP that was shot uh, down over Lake, uh, was it Lake Huron? And of course, uh, uh, over Alaska too. And it was really interesting, I think, for me, because I was actually out for dinner with some family members when this was all going down. And I'm like glued on my phone, going through my phone, going through my phone, and then getting to see some of the uh, reactions and some of the things that people were experiencing because of uh, what they were looking at. It is pretty incredible to see some of that feedback that people were seeing. And, you know, what strikes me as odd, too, is that there was so much buzz about this and there are people online chiming in about whether or not these were, you know, another round of Chinese spy balloons or if they were from otherworldly destinations, but was interesting to see that there was all this hoopla. And then essentially they go on to say that, you know what, we're going to find out what these things are. We shot them down. NORAD has been uh, on high alert because of the Chinese spy balloon, which was like literally days before this all happened. And everybody waited with bated breath. I know I was one of those people. I still am one of those people wondering what the hell was that in the sky? So here is the official White House statement. And I wanted to share with you with this because it is pretty interesting to hear their response to this. Take a listen to this. After shooting down a series of high-flying objects, the Biden administration is under fire for a lack of transparency. We were able to determine that China has a high-altitude balloon program for intelligence collection. 
that's connected to the People's Liberation Army. In addition to the Chinese spy balloon shot down over a week ago, the administration took down three other unidentified objects over Lake Huron, Alaska, and Canada just this past weekend. Defense officials say the objects were not sending signals, did not pose a threat to people on the ground, but did present a risk to civil aviation. We've acted out of an abundance of caution to protect the secure, uh, our security and interests. The military is working with other federal agencies to determine what the objects are, where they came from, and if they're connected. Officials say they are finding more objects partly because they're taking a closer look. Better scrutiny of our airspace, um, also the uh, adjusting of the radar um, sensitivities, which means we're seeing more things than we um, would normally see. The Biden administration faces scrutiny over its response. President Biden owes the American people some answers. What are we shooting down? Where did they come from? Congress is going to conduct a careful bipartisan examination at these various incidents. Lawmakers will also look into why U.S. officials did not find these objects sooner as crews continue to search for debris and answers. And the Biden administration announced a new interagency team dedicated to studying the high-flying unidentified objects and future policy related to them. Very interesting stuff. Um, they've come out since then, and they've basically said at this point, you know, there is no indication that these things were actually alien by nature. Um, they said they can't find the wreckage, too, but it's just bizarre to me that they had three of these, whether you want to call them otherworldly or not, or perhaps this is all part of the, uh, I guess, saber rattling that is going on um as one topic i didn't really necessarily need to cover tonight i think a lot of people are waiting to see what happens or what is going to happen as we approach i think the one year anniversary or the one year anniversary of the russian uh, invasion of ukraine but it, it, it it's bizarre to me that in 2023 whatever these things are there's they obviously know what they are or have some sort of justification or or, or I guess feeling as to what they could be. And nobody is really saying much about it. I mean, I was, I, I, I've, I've said it over the years many times. I'm a firm believer in uh, that we are not alone. I'm a firm believer in some of the things that have come across um, over the course of many years, these quote unquote sightings and different things that cannot be explained by conventional means. But um, it will be very interesting to see down the road what this is all going to lead to, even if this sort of fades away into nothing. So uh, bizarre that you would have those those sightings, I guess, back to back, but even more bizarre that they've come out and said now that they cannot find the wreckage and uh, we're sort of just passing the buck on. It could be like a weather balloon or whatever it is. But uh, again, we'll have to wait and see what this brings and whether or not we'll get some kind of closure. I mean, if it was aliens... Or UFOs at this point, can you just like just come out and tell us? I think most people are at that point now where they're just like, just tell us, let us know, let us know what it is, and then we'll be good with it. You know, some people will just like rock their world. For me personally, I'm like, okay, let us know that they're here, they've been coming here. You know, who knows what they're going to come out with, but hopefully, some sort of resolution at some point this year. <laughs> 
Well, from UFOs to the new Chernobyl, there was some startling news. When all this UAP stuff was happening over the last couple of weeks, uh, obviously some say that this may have been some sort of distraction on some of the real problems, quote unquote, that North America is facing. And something that is somewhat close to home to us here in Windsor and Essex County, Ohio is essentially uh, a neighbor to us from the great state of Michigan. And they have just been dealt with hit after hit on what has happened with this toxic chemical spill with the train car crash. Again, around the same time when all these UAPs were coming in the news and all these sightings and uh, some of the footage and some of the crowdsourcing journalism that was taking place on this particular story was just absolutely incredible to see and hear. And now some of the residents in East Palestine, Ohio, where this train crash has occurred, you know, the, the company th that is responsible for the train cars and, and the entire legislation around this too said, yeah, you know what? The, the air quality is not the greatest, but it's okay. It's okay to come home. And if you've seen the footage and you saw the uh, pictures and some of, the, again, that crowdsourced journalism that people have been doing from the scene, people who have been sort of documenting this from day one, it's really frightening to see. And there are some new safety concerns that are being raised as the speed of government response is leaving a ton of questions in regards to what's next for these poor folks. Take a look at this report and uh, see for yourself about where they're really heading in this direction. Shadow over this East Ohio town. Being this close to the, the train derailment, I don't trust it. On February 3rd, cars carrying toxic chemicals jumped the tracks, sending a fireball into the air. The spill has been linked to the deaths of thousands of animals and health concerns continue to grow. I got to move because I'm not safe being here. There is no way we are safe being here. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says the air and the water are safe. Evacuation orders have been lifted, but questions remain. We're going to get to the bottom of this. The White House has not declared this a disaster because it doesn't meet the legal requirements, meaning FEMA, the agency tasked with disaster relief in the U.S., will only supplement a multi-agency response. We're going to preemptively file a document with FEMA to preserve our rights in case we need their assistance in the future. Still, FEMA's presence could undercut comments that East Palestine is safe to return to. We're looking solely at what would save lives. Railways have lobbied against rules to make trains safer. The train's operator, Norfolk Southern, admitted to shareholders in January it's seen an increase in accidents over the last four years. Profits may have superseded safety. Recommendations, many of which are have been on our most wanted list for decades, uh, should be implemented. The investigation will likely look into legislation. During the Trump administration, laws requiring high hazard trains to have electronic brakes or multiple crews were rolled back. There's over 4,000 of us and there's little babies. Somebody needs to help us. There will be lawsuits and congressional hearings, which could prevent a future incident, but might not heal the wounds of the past. Reggie Chikini, Global News. It's pretty crazy to see that massive plume, that, that last shot that they had in that report from Global, it was just like apocalyptic. And somebody was flying over East Palestine 
uh, in a plane. And on Reddit, they had these shots and it looked like this giant black cloud eye that was sitting right over uh, East Palestine. And those poor people, I mean, my God, you're like, imagine like you're so uprooted from what you know for your everyday life, like this massive disaster happens. And then government comes, this company comes, says, you got to get out of Dodge, pack up your stuff. You're out. We don't know when you're going to come back, but you, and you're driving away and you know, it's bad. Like they're, they, residents are talking about like their eyes burning. Um, the water is just doing some weird stuff. And I want to show you another clip too from Reuters uh, in just a few moments. But at what point are you like, okay, somebody's got to know what's going on here. What are we doing? Like, how do we sort of mitigate any kind of issue of this uh, ever happening again? Because the residents, they said they're, they're absolutely terrified. Absolutely terrified. Being this close to the, the train derailment, I don't trust it. Residents of East Palestine, Ohio, where a train derailed and spilled toxic chemicals earlier this month, expressed anger and concern on Friday after a plume of pollution moved down the Ohio River. I am frustrated. Here I am. I just moved seven months ago. I busted my ass to make this place look like it does. And I got to move because I'm not safe being here. There is no way we are safe being here. Ted Murphy told Reuters that he and his 80-year-old mother are now looking for a new place to live. There's nothing in there, is there? Despite state health officials' insistence that the town of nearly 5,000 is a safe place to be. We're not getting any truth. They, the, they are not going to own up to what's going in there until they are forced to. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine said Friday that pollution in the Ohio River, a source of drinking water for 5 million people, had now dissipated and that state testing never showed that any contaminated water entered any municipal drinking systems. You know that the science indicates that this water is safe, the air is safe. But we also know very understandably that residents of East Palestine are concerned. Deb Blair, a cashier at the Sparkle Market in East Palestine, says bottled water has been flying off the shelves. Water is the big thing here right now. Everybody is wanting water. They don't want to drink the water. They don't want to give it to their animals. You know, this is worse than what everybody thought it was. And the people in town are afraid. The Biden administration said on Friday that it was sending more resources, including a team of medical personnel and toxicologists, to conduct public health testing and assessments. Wait if you see any sort of issue with these people who live there in the next five to 10 years. Those poor people who cannot leave because of financial issues or like that one gentleman who used some very colorful language. I think I would in that particular situation too, to talk about how frustrated he is. Um, listen, I think when events like this happen, it is very much up to elected officials and, and, and these agencies that we have in charge to have some sort of game plan. Now, their game plan is to say that to these folks, go back to your house, it's fine. I'll be very interested to see what the cancer rates are in that particular area of East Palestine uh, for the next five to 10 years. If people do stay or they don't mandate everyone evacuating. And the fact that they said that, you know, the drinking water has not been contaminated, I think that is just incorrect i mean you saw some of the footage from that lake 
And as we all know, that water, you know, through osmosis starts to rain. I don't know. Pretty scary stuff. If I was a resident of that area, I would definitely be looking to have some some sort of concrete answers. And I know they're trying to get those from elected officials. That ain't happening anytime soon. So it'll be years before that area gets back to normal. Actually, I do we continue really on here that I went through. Um, as well, we continue on here on the show. Uh, our main major interviews coming up here in the next couple of minutes here. I fired that one a little bit early, but I uh, wanted to get to one more topic before we get to that particular program. Uh, this is something that has been coming on over the last little bit, and it is the password sharing crackdown that essentially went into effect today. Now, this is very interesting because I think a lot of us, I know us included, we actually shared our password with my in-laws so they didn't have to sign up for Netflix. Uh, they were able to kind of get that going and do that, and they were okay with that. But I don't know if you're like me. I mean, we've got Amazon Prime, we've got Disney Plus, we've got Netflix, we've got Crave TV. It's just like a lot of choice. But the fact that they're cracking down and they're saying to themselves, this is Netflix again, saying, uh-uh, you got to be in the same house to share that password. Well, it's really interesting because will that actually stay? Or They're saying that Ontarians are uh, getting ready to leave Netflix en masse because of this. Well, how are people feeling about this? Here's a little bit more. Netflix will soon begin its password sharing crackdown. The streaming giant asking its Canadian users to set their primary location by Tuesday. The first step towards limiting accounts to one household with additional membership slots coming at an extra cost. Netflix's hope is, of course, that this will raise a lot of money. But my concern is that uh, the, the sector that's most... Uh, likely to be doing this account sharing is they also the one that uh, is most price conscious. Netflix members of standard or premium plans already pay $16 and $21 respectively, but now we'll have to pay an additional $7.99 a month for extra subscriber accounts. In response, an online neighborhood pulse poll by Nextdoor Canada that surveyed more than 3,000 Ontario residents online found that 59% of respondents say they will cancel their subscription, while 41% plan to keep it. We're asking Torontonians if they share that sentiment. One of the reasons why we cancelled back in January was that as one of the reasons, advertising as well, and also the rising fees. But uh, the ability not to be able to share amongst family members uh, based on various devices is obviously problematic for us. Are you going to miss Netflix? Yes. <laughs> my brother's always kind of had our Netflix account, and there's three of us siblings and my parents, and then all of the extra parasites in like our <laughs> spouses and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of us on his account. I think we'll have to just get our own, honestly. Um, but I haven't been locked out yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really impact me because um, I, I usually I don't share the passwords with my friends as well. Okay, so you have your own Netflix membership that you don't share with anyone. Okay, I won't lie. I have uh, I don't have my own Netflix. Oh, uh, <laughs> I know you. I, I'm using my sister's. Netflix says the move is in response to the over 100 million households currently sharing accounts, impacting its ability to invest in great new TV and films, which begs the question, will other streaming services follow suit? The, the, this tends to be the way. When, when one site finds some new policy, then the others kind of will up because it becomes acceptable. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, do I watch a lot of Netflix? 
honestly, out of all the streaming services I just told you about a few minutes ago from that, uh, just before we aired that report from City News in Toronto, um, I don't watch a ton of Netflix. I would say the, the, the one time I am watching Netflix, I think Carrie watches it the most. Um, I do watch on Netflix. My shows are Stranger Things, although I am behind a season. Uh, I watch Seinfeld. If I'm bored or if I just want to have something on in the background, I'll put on Seinfeld or The Office because we still have The Office on the Canadian version of Netflix. But I don't know. If they start to all follow suit, I know Disney Plus is really looking at their content output when it comes to Marvel and Star Wars shows, which will be interesting to see over the next several years. They're going to be focused on quality versus quantity, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, too. But you add up all that you're spending on a day-to-day basis on streaming shows versus what you could get and should get through a cable package. I would say the prices now, if you do like get all the streaming services, it is somewhat comparable to what you would be paying for a standard cable bill. But it'll... The, the next few months when they start to see the drop, if there is a drop, people actually say that they're going to cancel Netflix. I think then you're going to see things kind of renege a bit because, you know, a few years ago they were telling people, right? They even had social media posts, Netflix, hey, share your password. It's okay. We get it. You're doing that. So who knows? Uh, finally here on the show tonight, uh, there's been a lot of talk here in 2023. You know, we're on the quote unquote tail end of the pandemic. Um, people have been mandated back to work in the office uh, work from home still is f- very prevalent in certain sectors. And there's been a lot of terms of quiet quitting, quiet promoting, and different ways to approach work in 2023. I had actually just recently shared the results of a four-day workweek survey that has had some amazing results on my LinkedIn page, which I thought was brilliant, that they sort of pulled what other countries are doing. Again, if other countries are doing it and they're seeing great success, then why not uh, adapt it for the Canadian market? Um, but I wanted to get a kind of a scope of what's happening locally in terms of jobs, how people are working, what people want when they work. And I had a chance to sit down with a good friend of mine, Victoria Rubio, and she operates a very successful business that allows people here in Windsor, Essex to connect to their passions and brand themselves to find the perfect job. So Victoria talked to me about those particular options and what she's seeing from clients and employers here in Windsor, Essex. Actually, I do feel really thankful that I went through um, as a social worker and as a social service worker for a long time before getting into business, because I feel that it assists me to see things with a different light than maybe if I had only been in a business background. When I started my business in 2018, I knew I wanted to grow a business. Um, I didn't really know at the time how I was going to do it. Right. I just knew I wanted to help people. So I still had the social work hat on, right? I'm going to help people and that's what I'm going to do. Um, And, you know, now it's been almost six years, five years, six years. And I'm, I can look back and say that I, everything I've done has been really ethical. You know, with my social work background, it's been really ethical. It's like the it's like the core of everything I do. And because of that, I've you know, I've noticed so much that I feel can can be improved, you know, in in business and the way that people are accustomed to doing things. Um, because 
like I said, I come from a very different type of background. And, you know, just even with personally, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of lived experience and, and had to go overcome many different things. Um, you know, I did, a lot of people are very surprised when I, I tell them that I'm a single mom and I have seven children. I mean, they're not all tiny, I have adults and, and whatnot, but it's um, one of those things that, again, I feel thankful that I went through what I did with social work and with my career because it's something that I instilled in my clients as well. You don't want to um, focus on statistics or circumstances or whatever people may think that is working against you, right? I didn't I didn't look at it like this isn't working against me, so I'm not I'm not destined to do more. I was the complete opposite. It's like this is my life and because this is, you know, the cards I've been dealt, I'm going to do something amazing with them. And here we are. <laughs> well, I, I've always had the utmost respect for you. Um, you know, I, I got two kids of my own and you, you got seven and you you were doing it uh, by yourself. So kudos to you uh, for being a, a rock star mom and certainly a rock star business owner now uh, with VR success. Uh, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. I mean, you, you talk about getting past the metrics and, and and really diving into that human aspect of business. And I think business that by its, if you carve it down what business is and, and what workplaces are, it's about people. And I think in the last three years, we've had such a major shift in the way businesses are done, in the way workplaces operate. And, and there are so many buzz terms that have come out in the last, even the last like six to eight months, um, that I wanted to bring on and 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 talk to you about. One of those terms is is quiet quitting, mm -hmm. and this has been thrown out. I mean, there's there's articles on this all the time. We'll get to another type of quiet something in the next couple of minutes here. But with this concept of quiet quitting, you know, what is it? What are you hearing from your clients? You know, the employers who work with you. And what's your take on this this sort of phenomenon? Because I've got my two cents on this too. But I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, Victoria. So quiet quitting is basically um, doing the bare minimum that you have to do at your job, right? So that's, I mean, that's the description of it. And to me, I just basically think that it's people who have disengaged and they're not um, maybe invested personally, emotionally invested, but they are doing what they need to do to get paid the bare minimum. Right. So um, they don't go above and beyond. They don't um, stay after work. They don't, you know, do things that maybe is asked of them above what they're supposed to do. And um, I mean, it's been coined, you know, quiet quitting. I think that it's more of a disengaged because they feel devalued and uncared for. So why do more? You know, why do more when you feel that nobody cares about you? Why do more when your mental health is suffering? You know, why do more when you just want to run away from there at five o'clock? When you're just looking at the time, at the minutes, like, let me get the hell out of here. Like, why? So why do more, right? When you feel that there's not, there's, there's nothing else there for you. So it's like you want to quit, mm -hmm. but you can't quit because you need to pay your bills. So you do the bare minimum to keep what you what you can to keep this job. It's funny you should say that too, Victoria, because you know, some people doing the bare minimum just to eat by, okay, fine. Definitely you want some high performers on the team. You want people who are at least very much meeting those 
you know, those bullet points in the posting when you signed up, right? But to flip it on its head and to talk about quiet quitting, I agree with you. I think very much it is a it, it is an issue from a, a functional workplace sort of structure. Because I think now more than ever, when you have this huge amount of boomers and Gen X and millennials and Gen Z coming into the workplace who all want something different. They all come from a different value set and they, they want different things. Like if you go to a Gen Z person saying like, listen, we're going to get you a pension. They don't care. Right. They don't care where you, you give that to a say boomer. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm going to stay at the same company for 40 years and I'm I'm going to work at my desk until I'm dead where these Gen Zers are, you know, they want to work for a purpose. They want to feel empowered. They want to feel like they're, which I don't think there's anything wrong with anything right across the age spectrum, but I think it goes down to valuing the people that you work for and realizing that it's not a cookie cutter approach to maintain this sort of connection with your employees. So I, I guess it's hard, right? I think managers and, and, and corporations and, and, and businesses really have to take a look at their workforce and then, kind of amalgamating all that together to say, how are we going to keep these people engaged? Like you said, how are we going to keep them feeling valued so they don't mentally check out? And then on the flip side of that, how as employers can they not go to the well so many times, right? Like everybody wants to be a high performer, but how is that even, you know, really quite honestly, how is that sustainable now in today's world? I mean, yes, you can give 150%, but you can't give it all the time. So I think that there's that sort of balance between the two that has to be met. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, I do. And I think that it comes to recognizing that there has a shift is happening and it's happening whether we want it to or not. And it's happening, you know, whether the employers want it to or not, like there is a generational shift and the generations want very different things, like you mentioned. And so that means that the leadership has to look at that and say, this is, we, we have to, we have to shift. We have to shift with the times we have to shift with what's happening. We have to shift to the future of business, the future of leadership, the future of um, employment, because things are very different. Just like you said, somebody that may have valued a pension and that wanted to stay at one place for 40 years. Yes, that's great. But somebody who, you know, values their emotional well-being and, you know, their mental health and their spirituality and things that are important to them. Like, they need and want different things in order to be kept happy and prevent them from quiet quitting in the workplace, right? So yes, um, it does. it is about balance. And I feel that the balance will come from addressing that there's a shift already happening. And this is why I think there's even these, these terms are coming up now, quiet quitting. We're seeing the result of not shifting with what is really happening now with the generations that are that are working that are working in the same industries and the same companies that haven't made that shift yet and then from quiet quitting to quiet promoting this is a term in some articles i read on even msnbc over the last weekend too about the doing more with less from a corporate or even um uh an organizational standpoint to say that okay so we can't fill these particular jobs so what does it look like to sort of cannibalize these roles and these responsibilities and maybe shift people in different roles based on the needs of the organization of that particular day or even week or taking certain roles off of each role that they can't fill and sort of promoting these people with the uh, underscore that this will lead to better 
employment aspects, but also uh, better opportunities down the road too. So it, what is your take on, on quiet, quote unquote, promoting? And, and is that something that it could be of value to maybe even retention if it's done properly? So I think recognizing um, your employee or your team's um, talents, abilities, strengths is always a great thing. So when you know, you're talking about recognizing that in somebody and saying, you know what, I, I think you'd be amazing for this role or, you know, take on this position. I think that's that could be a great thing if there's a transparency and streamlined roadmap, streamlined awareness that this is for their career development and it's for their benefit. And it's something that is mutually beneficial agreement, right? So rather than just... Um, giving them more responsibility uh, without saying, you know, what might potentially happen or what you're seeing in them to say, you know what, this is something that you should learn. This is something we're going to train you on because we feel that when that position comes up in the future, you would be amazing for that. I think that's a great thing. But um, again, if that, that conversation is not had, if that um, transparency doesn't come through, if they are not aware that this is eventually going to lead to somewhere better, you know, maybe like really like higher, not just lateral change, sure. but actually like, um, I think it would be a really good thing. If, uh, But I, I think, again, it's more taking the individual um, into consideration and having the conversation with them as to why and how this is beneficial for them. Yeah, it's like, like I love that term that having that roadmap to go to somewhere like, I, I mean, I just correlated to some of my experiences through the years too. And like when I was working on radio, back in the early 2000s, I cannot tell you the amount of, um, I'm going to say, word salad meetings I had with people and, and managers, God bless them, who, you know, nowadays that stuff wouldn't fly higher than a kite. But, uh, you know, they would say, okay, well, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll make that happen. We'll, we'll keep you that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you sit there and a decade goes by, 10 years, and you're kind of still spinning your wheels. And I think when you have that sort of progression as a good manager, and be able to kind of correct people, especially when everybody's saying right now there's a hiring crunch, right? Can't find good people, can't retain good people, can't keep good people. How do we keep good people? How do we make sure that they feel valued? And I think it starts with that sort of progression to say, okay, let's talk about what you want to do. How do we fit your talents and your skills to benefit this particular organization? And how do you want to feel like you can be invested? Um, because I think at the end of the day, people do want to feel valued and they do want to feel like they're being invested in. Now, the flip side of that, you have managers who will say, uh, well, what happens when they leave? Um, I would argue to that point, honestly, and, you know, what happens if they stay and we don't do anything? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I would definitely say almost, I don't know, one person doesn't want to rise and elevate and advance in their career. Um, I know personally that in, you know, what I've assisted, somebody that comes to me and I'm, I'm talking to them about where they want to go in their career, um, these are people that may have worked in the same company for 20 years. Why would they want to leave now? You know, it's, it's usually, I'm not, there's no more room for growth. There's no room for advancement. You know, um, I'm, I'm moving laterally. You know, I'm, I'm doing, so people want to feel like there is um, a way for this to be something that they can sustain and stay in long-term. So, elevating, you know, giving them those opportunities to elevate, letting them know this isn't for nothing. You know, you're not just learning this for nothing. And 
I think um, the leadership development aspect of things, the personal development aspect aspect of things, and then the awareness of you know emotional and mental um, aspect of things, people will stay. I think right now the reason people are maybe recognizing that okay we're not we're not able to keep people we're not we don't know what to do is because that shift that I, I mentioned earlier it's not there people aren't really paying as much attention to it as they should be because it's happening and people are not wanting to stay in places that they either don't feel valid or don't feel that it will take them anywhere in their career um, or even that they've been at for a long time and now they're realizing you know what I can do better you know or I can get you know I can elevate my career somewhere else it's not happening here right? so I think that is an important aspect of um, I guess quiet promotion when we're talking about that you know needs to be addressed Speaking of uh, the term, it's not happening here. That's what a lot of employers are saying to people who are working from home. That's not happening anymore. You're coming back into the office, right? Um, what is your take and, and what are you hearing from, from people who may be on the hunt about those uh, back to work mandates in the office and, and you know, folks working from home? I, I, I heard from a, a friend of mine who runs a app development company here in the city that uh, some of his clients right now are saying, you know, they purposely do put, and his clients are, you know, North American wide, but they say that, uh, you know, this one particular client that he has posts for a job that is very much remote because they know that they're going to get the cream of the crop um, because people want to have that flexibility. They want to be mm -hmm. able to work on their own terms versus something that is a hybrid, which is the second best option versus a full-time in-office position for that particular role. Keep in mind, right? Because some, some roles have to be on site. They have to, you know, you have to do that. But for a lot of these things that have been done and done, you know, quite honestly, well for the last, say, almost three years now for the pandemic, what are you hearing when it comes to, you know, attitudes and, and mindsets with, uh, you know, the back to work in office sort of mandates that are coming through? I mean, I think that if we have learned anything for the past almost three years is that 90% of jobs can be done from home. <laughs> you don't have to be there. You know, people did it. And I mean, they kind of just jumped in it, but they still got what they had to do accomplished. I mean, I think a hybrid would be something that we could move into very comfortably for everybody where both sides are happy. Um, but I do, and I have heard this a lot that like, why do we even have to be there? The stuff that we have to do, we can do from our computer or we can do from our phone <clears throat> or we can have Zoom meetings or, but you know, whatever it is, you don't have to necessarily just be in front of, um, you know, individuals anymore, even though, I mean, once you haven't been in front of individuals anymore, you crave that <laughs> to be around people. But the whole point sure. is that your job maybe not necessarily, is not a must for you to be there. Um, I have seen some companies take a hybrid stance since since um you know everybody came back they have varied work weeks now where you can do this from home you can do that from home my team i don't ever have to see them unless we have to have a meeting and even then if they call me and say can we do it on zoom sure you know like i'm totally a good um <laughs> a good manager i i just feel like i feel like it's not necessary and if it's going to keep them peaceful and happy, then I'm happy. And as long as they give me really good quality work, I'm perfectly fine with them not, not being here, right? So it's, to me, I don't really see it as necessary. Now, 
Uh, maybe somebody else might think that, that, you know, now things are back to normal. So let's get everybody back in the office. I feel like when you've had, when you've been used to doing something from home for the last two and a half years, it's not going to be that easy to just jump back into doing everything from the office. Uh, you know, what is good news and, and what is fantastic news? And I've been following along some of the, the uh, announcements on social media is this exciting partnership that you sort of dove into this week. And I wanted to touch base on this really quickly before we end the segment is uh, this is really cool. This is something that I think speaks volumes to what you're doing with your business and, and your group and, and connecting not only with uh, folks here locally, but from what I understand in Hamilton too, right? Yeah, so there is this really amazing partnership with um, Empowerment Squared in Hamilton and WeTech Alliance in Windsor. And the the program is called Swoven, um, Southwest Ontario Black Entrepreneurship, Entrepreneurship Network. And that is a brand new program here. It, I think it's it started last year, but the first cohort, I believe, is starting in February. And I was really excited to um, see if I could get on board to help. And um, I applied to be one of the advisors and I was accepted as one of the advisors. So I'm really excited to you know, do everything I can to you know, assist the participants of that program and see how it grows and see all the things that we can develop in this community. Because one thing I'm really excited about is the partnership with Hamilton and Windsor, because um, it's going to be not, it's local, it's going to help our local community, but we are going to be able to expand to the Hamilton Network as well and them to ours. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a really amazing partnership. And that's taking place. And that's taking place right through WeTech Alliance. So thanks to Victoria Rubio from VR Success Solutions on Walker Road. they got a great location on Walker Road, too. If you want to find out more information on what Victoria does, kind of syncing up people with their next step in their career and getting people to that point where they are invested not only in their workplace, but finding passion. You can find more about her and her company on Facebook, social media as well. And uh, give her a buzz too to stop by their location on Walker Road. I appreciate her time earlier this week talking a little bit about the future of work here in Windsor, Essex. Uh, really quickly, before we wrap up the show, a big shout out yesterday was February 20th, which was family day, holiday for a lot of folks. And uh, we had a return to Windsor for my son, Liam, and his annual blood drive for Canadian Blood Services. We had uh, quite a few people decide to donate a bit of their time and spend some time with us at Canadian Blood Services uh, just off the central. So we really appreciate that. I've got some photos posted up on my social media pages if you'd like to see. And a big shout out to everybody who were uh, who took some time to be a part of it, including Liam's godmother and rock star, Alma, and uh, my good friend Marissa at Canadian Blood Services, too, to help us organize this. So uh, it was Liam's first time at the Blood Drive in Windsor at that location since 2019. And uh, even though it was like, like three years ago, it felt like a lifetime ago. So I asked him while I was getting my blood, I'm like, Liam, do you want to come in? And he's like, no, 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 no. So he's running around in the lobby uh, with Carrie and Alma. But uh, eventually he went in when Carrie went to give blood and he was just kind of like fascinated to see uh, what those uh, good folks at Canadian Blood Services are doing. So deeply appreciate the support that we received certainly through uh, yesterday's big blood drive. Okay, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. When we come back in the next few weeks, we are going to talk about a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart. Speaking of medical services, there is a lot of talk here locally of the new mega hospital. And joining me on the show is going to be a couple of families who 
are saying that we need to take a pragmatic approach to making sure that we're doing this in a way that is going to represent and address the need that so many families have seen here locally for the last 20 years. Uh, I think they have some very valid points and they're going to share some of their stories live here on the show. And that'll be coming up on Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. So until then, follow along on social media and I appreciate you spending some time with me here on the Arms Boom and Like Project. Don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, we'll see you back here in just a couple of weeks time. Thanks for watching.